episode 33 of the TJ Martino podcast. We're back. Um, took a little break, but we are back. And what better time to get back into it than with the conclusion of the 2020-2021 NFL season. It was a great season, despite all of the obstacles that pretty much every sport had to go through over these past few months. The NFL was able to tough it out. Every team played all 16 games. Uh, you know, we still had some great, great games, including that uh, that Cardinals versus Bills game, I think, was the most memorable game with that Hail Mary from Kyler Murray. That was the one I remember the most uh, um, out of, you know, all of the games this season. But, uh, you know, a lot of people were wondering, could they get this up and running again and in time for the NFL season? But they made it work and we ended up getting a really good season this year. So uh, I'm pretty pleased with with how everything ended up, you know, settling down and, and uh you know, with with the season, it, it you know it was really really interesting to see how these teams would just match up on any given Sunday. You know, some fans have it. You know, some crowds having you know a little bit of people here and there, a couple thousand. Um, and then there's other ones where the stadiums were completely empty, and it was interesting to see how these players would feed off energy this season. That was probably the most exciting thing for me this season, but. With the season concluded, let's look back on, well, the biggest game of the season. Super Bowl 55 was, la- you know, last weekend. And, uh, yeah, I was a lot of people were really excited for this one. I mean, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, a lot of people were picking the Chiefs before this game. How could you not? They're the defending champs. And uh, I personally, I my final pick was Tampa Bay, but... Uh, I thought probably Kansas City was going to win, but I wanted Tampa Bay and I ended up picking Tampa Bay kind of a wishful thinking. But man, this game was crazy in the way that it went down. I mean, um, a lot of drama. <clears throat> and obviously you have the storyline is there. You got, you know, the up and coming great quarterback and Patrick Mahomes and then going against obviously Tom Brady, who everybody considers to be one of the greats, the goat, as they call him. Um uh, but, you know, that that was a fascinating storyline and a lot of drama uh, surrounding this game. You know, a lot of people, you know, obviously Tampa Bay had home field advantage. I think they were the first team ever to have home field advantage in the Super Bowl. I mean, hey, you know, even though home field advantage is not that effective in this season, you know, I think they ended up having like 20 to 25,000 people there, which is, you know, interesting and in, in and in a step in the right direction. Uh, as somebody who loves crowds and fans, (laughs) um, that's from speaking from my behalf, because I got a little bit of bias, uh, in terms of wanting to see crowds come back. Uh, So that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people are up in arms about it, but it is what it is. Uh, but the game, it was, uh, you know, really, really interesting. I was hoping this game would be a lot closer than it was. I mean, it was a blowout. 31 to nine was the final score. Tampa Bay ends up winning their first Super Bowl since 2002. I mean, yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay though, their offense looked really good. Looked really good last night. I was not expecting them to come out as hot as they did. I mean, I would say that first quarter was a lot of feeling each other out. I mean, there I kind of felt like everybody was wondering, like, oh, the over. You know, anybody that bet the over was freaking out in the first half because there wasn't a lot of ball movement. Um, Kansas City got a they got a field goal early. They actually were the first ones to put points on the board. Um, but 
I think what you know what really did him in was was you know Tampa Bay's run game for me. I, I that's really what I saw as as the one Leonard Fredette and, and Ronald Jones were were fantastic last night and or last weekend. And I mean the the, the run game was there. Uh, Leonard Fournette had 89 yards and a touchdown, and then Ronald Jones had 61. They had a combined 28 carries. So, I mean, they were running the ball, and and that's the thing. When you're in the Super Bowl, you got to pound immediately. you got to run the ball immediately. I mean, you have to establish the run in, in the Super Bowl, and, and that's something Kansas City completely failed to do on all, all cylinders. I mean, outside of Patrick Mahomes making plays on his feet and, and a couple of good runs early from Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the run game was absolutely nowhere to be found with 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 Kansas City, and and that's really what kind of did them in because they were uh, Patrick Mahomes threw forty nine times in this game. I mean, you you gotta have more diversity in your play calling, but when you're not moving the ball on the ground, you're not gonna get anywhere. You're you're not gonna set up any of those pass plays, and it's almost like Tampa Bay saw pass coming every time, and that, and that leads me to my personal Super Bowl MVP, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense as a whole. Um, I mean, the, geez, the pass rush was fantastic last night. Fantastic. I I mean, those guys, I mean, granted Kansas city's offensive line was beaten up. I know they were having, I think they had like one starter that they had originally from the beginning of the season was starting in that game. Only one of the five were an original starter from the original starting lineup at the beginning of the season. So that, that I found to be kind of intriguing because, you know, it obviously could explain the stunting in their run game and their, you know, reliance on throwing the ball early in the game, uh, which kind of did him in. But Edwards Alaire, I think, actually, you know, he had a good first half. He had, you know, he was he averaged seven points per car- I mean, seven yards per carry. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was slugging, but they just weren't giving him the ball. He only had nine carries for 64 yards in the game. And, and I mean, that that needs to be up in the twelve to fifteen range, uh, if I'm being honest. I mean, and I know they were playing from behind for a lot, of, but I mean, for the first half, they were in this game. I mean, <laughs> especially in that first quarter, and they were just already defaulting to throwing deep and trying to get into the hands of Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill instead of letting it be more natural. It felt like Kansas City was forcing it at every single corner, and you know, uh, it caught up with them the lack of running the ball, it caught up with them, especially in the second half when literally every single play you knew Mahomes was going to be throwing the ball. And the guy's already struggling on a turf toe, and he he was the second leading rusher on the team. I mean, that, that in and of itself is, is a little concerning. I mean, not that he was the second leading rusher, but the fact that he was like, you know, he only had four less carries than, than, than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did. I mean... Yeah, not good, man. Not good from Kansas City's offense. And I, I get it. You know, they were beaten up on the offensive line, like I mentioned. But, uh, you know, you can only throw to Travis Kelsey so many times before, you know, teams start doubling him. And then the, then you got to go to somebody else. And, and Tyree Kill had an interesting night. It was rather quiet. I mean, he had seven yard, seven catches for 73 yards. So, I mean, decent work um, from Tyreek. But we've seen better. Uh, from him but like I said Kansas I mean I'm sorry Tampa Bay's pass rush was absurd I mean they were getting in the backfield every play forcing Mahomes to just get out of the pocket 
You know, he had several plays where he was running around trying to find somebody open and then ends up getting hit and just chucking the ball downfield aimlessly. There was about three or four times that happened, especially in the second half. I think in the fourth quarter it happened um, a few times. Uh, He had, you know, some fourth down and longs. And, uh, you know, this team was awful on third down, by the way. They were awful. Kansas City, they couldn't convert a third down last weekend. I mean, at all. It, It... I think they finally got one in like the late third, early fourth quarter. Um, but man, it, it was rough. Uh, and Andy Reid is, is really my ba- my biggest problem in this game. And this has come from somebody I've watched a lot of Andy Reid games. Uh, you know, I'm an Eagles fan. I've watched the guy, and I have a lot of respect for the guy as a coach. I think he's a fantastic coach. I do. And and you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit, but uh, well, nowadays he is. But he didn't prior to winning that Super Bowl last year. But yeah, man, he dropped the ball big time in this game. First things first, like I said, the you know neglecting the run. And I know Kansas City's not a huge running team, but I mean, nine carries for your for your rookie running back, man. Come on, give him fifteen at least. Anyway, that being one of them, and the other being the biggest problem with Andy Reid. Uh, like I said, it's coming from somebody that's watched a lot of Andy Reid games over the years. Is his time management. His time management in this game was not good, especially in the fourth quarter. There was a drive in the fourth quarter. Kansas City was in the red zone, and it was, I think, it was a third down and long. They threw, I think they either threw an incompletion or something. So it was a fourth down and nine. Um, They were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. I think they were on like the 25-yard line. They were on the Tampa Bay 25. It was like fourth down and nine. And it's there's like, I think, 11 minutes in the fourth quarter. And Kansas City is running out of time on the play clock to, to get a play call in. And they decide to call a timeout instead of taking the delay of game. They, they take a timeout with 10 and, a half, 10 and a half, 11 minutes left in the game. You take a timeout down two or three scores to give yourself five yards on a fourth down and long already. Like personally, I would have let that thing run out. I would have went with the delay of game, went for it anyway. I mean, five yards on a fourth down. What's the difference really when you're thinking about it, when you can savor that timeout and use it later in the game? They already were down to two timeouts before they had even gotten inside of 10 minutes of the game left. And now you're struggling. You're down three scores. And, you know, I, I was just sitting there like, God, this just makes me feel like 2010 Eagles right here. This is 2009 Eagles Andy Reid making that, you know, stupid decision. I personally, you should have gotten the penalty. And in that case, you eat the penalty and you move on but and save savor your timeouts. But they wasted it. And that ended up putting them in a hole in a bigger hole than the hole they were already in. Um, but man, uh, yeah, Tampa Bay, man, they were all over them. They were all over them. They had them figured out. It just, I, it, I hadn't seen Kansas city that beaten, uh, this season very rarely. I mean, they just were so solved. It's like Tampa Bay just had them solved. They had them completely figured out. And, uh, you got to give credit to Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for for Tampa Bay. I mean, the guy called a fantastic game. I mean, shout out to Todd Bowles. And I, I know he's had struggles in the past, 
with the Jets and some of these other organizations. But the guy, he knows defense. I'll tell you what, he knows defense, and he did a fantastic job. And and, and shout out to Bruce Arians too, man. First, I think that's his, is that his first Super Bowl? If it is, congratulations, Bruce. You you got one. And and I've always been a Bruce Arians guy. I like him a lot as a coach. Um, you know, he's a guy that gets a lot of, you can tell, gets a lot of respect from the players. Um, he's a tough dude. Yeah. Shout out to him. And and the offensive schemes here were fantastic. I mean, the, the perfect typical Tom Brady, you know, dump to the flat, dump to the running back, dump to, you know, across the, the middle, you know, Tom Brady, just the beats that he hits all day, man. I mean, 21 for 29, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah. As much as I thought maybe Gronk or someone on the defense could have been the MVP, I think it was probably the right call that it'd be Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, the guy is 40-something years old, and he's going out here and absolutely killing it. He's one of the best to ever do it, man. I mean, <laughs> simply. And anyone that wants to make that argument for him being the GOAT, I, you know, go right ahead. I'm not going to fight you on that one at all. Um, especially after this, because he proved, you know, because everybody was like, oh, well, Brady's just a part of the Belichick machine, and that's the only reason he's succeeding. Well, not exactly anymore. Can't really use that argument anymore. Um, but, man, I, I was really impressed with Tampa Bay. And, and shout out to a uh, friend of the show, Jack Quell, if you're listening, man. Shout out to you. Uh, you can sit and enjoy yourself with this one, because uh, that was a hell of a win. I'll tell you what. That was a hell of a win against a team that was literally in the Super Bowl a year ago. Um, and to straight up knock them off their tracks with a young quarterback who's had all of the momentum on his side since he entered the league. Uh, you know, it was really interesting to see this Tampa Bay team just step up and dominate the way they did on both sides of the ball. I mean, uh, like I said, the run game for Tampa Bay with Fournette and, and Ronald Jones was so sound and, and really opened up Tom Brady to do what he does best, which is just pick apart defenses. And I love about Tom Brady is that he just, he doesn't, he never panics. He never forces anything because he's just, he's been in every situation. It feels like, you know, when you watch him, you can just tell he knows exactly what every situation he's in and how to maneuver it. And, you know, uh, Brady just, when you put him in those kind of situations, it's just like clockwork, man. He just, he knows exactly it's bang, 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 bang. It's like practice, man. The dude's just been doing it for so long. And he's a legend. He's one, you know, he's one of the best, if not the best. He's the goat, you know, as people say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what else can you say, man? Forty something years old to go out there and, and win a Super Bowl with a different team in a different city. Hats off to you, Tom. You got my respect. And, and I've never been the biggest Brady guy. I'm not a Brady hater by any means. Um, I have been at times <laughs> when he's played the Eagles and when he's ripped the heart out of the Eagles I have, but I really am not a Belichick fan more than I'm really more of a Belichick hater than a Brady hater. And that's always kind of how I've been, uh, personally. Um, and I have a lot of respect for Belichick. I just, you know, he's kind of a cheater, um, <laughs> but Antoine Winfield, by the way, Devin white, Antoine Winfield, Jason Pierre, Paul Levante, David. I mean, these guys had an absolute monster game last night. I mean, Antoine Winfield had the uh, the big breakup uh, play on Tyreek Hill, and he gave him the little peace sign. That was kind of cool. And then uh, Devin White obviously had the cleanup interception at the end of the game, which kind of sealed the deal. Uh, 
and, and there was like three or four plays on that drive that could have been a pick. So, <laughs> I mean, Mahomes was at the point where he was literally just chucking things up in the air and seeing what lands. And there was one that was really close. There was one where he was literally getting dragged to the ground. He just chucked it up and it went into the corner of the end zone and was om- I think it was almost caught. It like went through the hands. I was like, how the hell did that ball even get there? And that's just the, that's just the kind of stuff that Mahomes does. And, you know, he's legit. Uh, like I said, I and I don't necessarily blame him as much for this. Like I said, Kansas City's offensive line was incredibly porous. But yeah, Mahomes could have done better. He could have, you know, he made some bad reads. He was he felt panicked. He definitely felt the heat. He felt the heat for sure. And he was making a lot of panic plays. He was making he was forcing a lot of balls. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was just he was forcing a lot. He was he made some mistakes and obviously had two turnovers, two bad ones. Uh, one of them being in the red zone. Um, but and, and but that's where Kansas City's defense haven't really talked much about their defense. Um, yeah, I mean, they looked good in the first quarter. Kansas City's defense looked good. I mean, they had that goal line stand um, in the first quarter or in the first half that that helped kind of put them on track. But that's the thing they gave them their defense gave them multiple opportunities to get back in this game. I mean. Uh, but they also screwed them on a couple things. I mean, there were some bad penalties too. Uh, like there was a pass interference penalty, I think that came, or it was a it was a defensive holding. That's what it was on a, what would have been an interception. Uh, by Tyron Matthew was called back for a offensive holding, or I'm sorry, defensive holding. Jeez, I'm, I'm all mixed up. It would have been an interception by Tyron Matthew, but it was called back for defensive holding, which. In return, instead of first down inside Tampa Bay territory for Kansas City, it flips to first down for Tampa Bay. <laughs> and, man, I mean, those kind of swings will get you in the Super Bowl, man. You can't make those kind of mistakes in the Super Bowl. And, I, and that's the thing. T- Kansas City's corners were being overly aggressive in this game. I mean, there was three or four bad penalties which set up uh, Tampa Bay for scores or or to get in position to score. I mean, it was it was really... Uh, the wheels kind of came off the train for for Tampa Bay. I'm sorry, jeez, for Kansas City. Uh, towards the end of this, mixing everything up in here, but <laughs> you get my point. You catch my drift. Uh, Chris Godwin, I was expecting to do a lot more in this game, but you know, it is what it is. He's got a ring. That's all that matters. Um, but yeah, 31 to nine, final score of this game. Yeah, Tom Brady, he's one of the greats, and uh, Kansas City. They'll be back. They'll be competitive every year. And maybe this will put a little chip on their shoulder. Maybe they'll come back next year and, you know, make another run. AFC is getting interesting. That's for sure. And as for Tampa Bay, um, I, I saw today that um, Mike Evans said he would be willing to take a pay cut to help keep the, the framework of the team around. And, hey, I got mad respect for people that want to do that. That's the kind of guy you want on your team is a guy that'll be like, yeah, I'll take a couple mil off the, just so we can be good and competitive. Cause a lot of guys just take the money, not really understanding the consequences of that in the sense of like, yeah, your team's kind of going to suck if they can't afford to get anybody else to help you, you know? And that's kind of the Brooklyn Nets syndrome we're seeing uh, right now where it's like, let's just load up as many stars as we can and not have any, anybody around to help. Um, and Tampa Bay did a good job of, of having the star power of, you know, Antonio Brown and Gronk, who had a fantastic night, by the way. Uh, shout out to my fantasy team, Gronk. And 
uh, Mike Evans and some of these other guys is like and Levante David and all these big personalities. You get them on there and then you get, but they have, you know, the fortitude and the other pieces around to make it more cohesive than just, oh, we only have these star players and everybody else sucks. It's we have these star players and they complement and help all the other players on the team, if that makes sense. But, uh, you know, the sum of your parts or whatever it is, however you say that saying, the whole is a sum of its parts. There we go. Um, but yeah, 31 to nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers are your Super Bowl champions, man. Congratulations. Bucks fans out there. Quell included. If you guys are watching, shout out to you. Celebrate. Enjoy yourselves. Tampa Bay is an awesome city. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as for the commercials week, that's all I have to say about that week, just straight week. I didn't like one commercial. Didn't like, didn't think one was even close to funny. <laughs> so, uh, but I did like, um, some of the movie trailers, which we'll get into, but, uh, yeah, that's Super Bowl 55, man. I'm excited for next season and I'll probably cover the NFL a lot more aggressively next year, uh, and the NBA. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cover sports a little bit more aggressively moving forward than I, uh, than I used to in the past. But, you know, it, this year was kind of a, a funky year altogether, you know, a whole lot of weird stuff going on and, you know, the COVID and all that. So as, as things normal up, I'll, I'll ease myself more into it. Uh, but like I said, fans, fans are what's really going to bring the energy back to these, to the, to all sports, not just the NFL, but all of them. Uh, they all can benefit from that from having people there. I mean, it just, it, it adds a a certain level of density and weight to the game that you kind of miss when it's playing in an empty stadium with fake crowd noise being pumped in, you know? So (laughs) that's that. But, um, moving on to, uh, a topic I kind of want to talk about, which is cryptocurrencies and Dogecoin. Yeah, so big things happening in uh, over the past couple of weeks. Um, one being the GameStop fiasco with Wall Street that happened a couple of weeks ago. That was interesting to watch. Uh, you know, watching the people try and get a big slice out of the pie of the stock market, uh, a little bit bigger slice than Wall Street uh, particularly were were anticipating. Um, but everybody that has even heard of the GameStop thing knows how it all went down and, and, and understands. And if you don't, go find somebody that knows more about the specifics of it than me. But from my understanding, it was a he- you know, these all these stocks were heavily short of AMC, GameStop, you know, Nokia. Uh, all of them were heavily shorted, which basically means that you're you're putting money, you're selling shares you don't have and and essentially you you want the price to go down you you're you're betting that the company tanks and you know GameStop and all these other stocks the meme stocks as they call them basically we're all so heavily shorted that all these people on Reddit realized that and went in and overbought all of them forcing these you know hedge funds that shorted all these stocks to have to you know pay up their end of the deal cuz that's kind of what happens when you short something and it goes up, then, well, you're responsible for what you shorted. So uh, these guys were all getting held accountable, basically, in Wall Street. And it was kind of a fun little Robin Hood uh, moment, uh, not to mention Robin Hood, the company, which got under a lot of fire uh, for shutting down stocks and trading uh, on particular stocks. So they, they, stopped, they, they shut down the buying of particular stocks. 
uh, which you were still allowed to sell them, but you weren't allowed to buy them, which is essentially meaning we want the, these are a little bit too high. We want them lower. You know, it was kind of their logic. But uh, yeah, but what that led into is kind of a distrust in the system. And what I mean by the system, I mean the economic system in terms of the stock market. A lot of people lost faith in the stock market. It kind of opened up a window into what actually, you know, makes the market go up and down. And, you know, people are realizing that when these, you know, brokerages are, are um, taking matters into their own hands and they're deciding and when they determine what stock can be bought and which ones can't, well, that kind of takes away the free and open market that we're supposedly supposed to have, right? And this was something that, you know, Dave Portnoy from Barstool was, was talking about heavily and aggressively, uh, especially when it came to Robinhood, who uh, the company Robinhood, who was a brokerage um, from, you know, they're supposed to be for the common people, but really, you know, <laughs> that, that that only goes as far as the execution. Uh, but, you know, they got under a lot of heat because uh, because of, you know, a lot of people figured that they were siding with Wall Street uh, by doing this because it's like, why else would you do it, you know, outside of the fact that people are telling you to? Um, so who really knows? But uh, Portnoy was making a lot of accusations. He got a lot of publicity for it. It was a nice, nice stunt on his part. Um, but, uh, you know, cause he's always, he's been big in that, uh, that trading and all that. And me, I'm just kind of getting into it. I'm a novice. As you can tell, as I tried to explain that whole GameStop thing the best I could from my understanding, which, you know, if you want a better explanation, there, there's plenty out there. Somebody will give to you, but, uh, what does it have to do with cryptos is like I was saying, people are losing, they're losing uh, faith in the, the, the economic system and, and not only the stock market, but the U.S. dollar. And we're seeing an, an exodus from the U.S. dollar. A lot of people are buying real assets, you know, that be land, um, cryptocurrencies, precious metals and, and other, you know, real assets. People are moving away from the U.S. dollar. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. Like I said, the stock market being one of them, it's kind of opened people's eyes to not just that whole world, but also our entire nation's economy. Because, you know, a lot of people gauge the success of the economy off the stock market. So, uh, you know, they kind of go hand in hand and, and people are realizing, man, the U.S. dollar might be losing a lot of value here right now. I mean, it, think about it. Over the last 20 something years, I mean, starting from, you know, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush's presidency all the way through Bill Clinton and then Bush and then into Obama and through Donald Trump and now into Joe Biden, we're seeing just an increase in spending by our government. I mean, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars being printed for, you know, all sorts of things, relief and, and, and COVID-19 and all these things are, are just giving them means to, to keep spending the U.S. dollar. And when they and when they're spending the and in these big stimulus tra- checks, people just see the, you know, sixteen hundred dollars or whatever Joe Biden's given us of uh, of stimulus, and they don't, you know, they 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 just want that money up front, and they don't really understand the long term effects of you know large government spending, and that being that you're devaluing the US dollar every single time you drop one of these stimulus bills. I mean, every single time they spend $3 trillion, that's just 
devaluing everybody else's money and all of the, you know, the people in the country's money. And, and people are starting to figure that out. And they're saying, okay, well, if the U.S. dollar is going down, we got to find alternatives. And that's where things like Bitcoin and, uh, like I said, metals and, and land and property and other things like that come into place is, is when you need some sort of currency that that's stable and backed. And uh, we're, we're seeing an exodus begin. And Bitcoin is soaring right now. I think it's up to $40,000. Elon Musk uh, recently just put in $1.5 billion into Bitcoin. And it is the price is skyrocketing for Bitcoin right now. And uh, another cryptocurrency has just hit the market, and that is dogecoin and dogecoin came out and actually it's not new it came out like six or seven years ago it was made as a joke it was kind of like a because the whole blockchain technology is public domain so it can be used by any uh any company or any anything so they said hey well we'll just make an uh, uh you know a meme funny alternative to bitcoin and it is dogecoin which is you know a play on the doge meme which if you haven't seen it's like a you know the dog the little weird looking dog. <laughs> You'll know what I'm talking. I'll put a I'll put a doge up here for you. Um, but yeah. But yeah, they made so they made this coin and it was worth nothing. Literally nothing. It was worth point zero 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 eight cents. <laughs> so or eight point zero 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 eight dollars. So like not even a cent. And uh, for years, it was like that. It was, just, you know, kind of something people would trade just for fun, you know, and it kind of started to gain some steam in the in the mid 2010s. And it wasn't really until about a couple of weeks ago around the time of the GameStop crisis that we saw Dogecoin start to shoot up. And and, and now we're seeing it just continue to raise as Elon Musk is again pushing Dogecoin on Twitter all over the place. And uh, it's just making the price of that go up. And now I think it's at about eight cents right now, which is just absurd um, for a meme crypto. But it just shows you how desperate people are getting to exit the U.S. dollar. And uh, I think the best way for people to get trust back in the dollar is for, you know, for it to have more value. It's that simple for, you know... It, people aren't going to want to buy something that isn't valuable or they're not going to want to use something that isn't valuable. So you, the, the problem with the U.S. dollar devaluing is that nobody's going to use it. And if nobody uses it, well, what does that mean for you know the way we spend money and the way we buy things? I think it's going to be completely different over the next few years. And I think everything is going to start to become more decentralized, which, you know, will certainly have its its benefits for a lot of people. It'll allow people to kind of, you know, create their own currency and create, you know, and then through that have a competition, you know. We do it with everything else. It's a free market, right? Shouldn't we have, you know, you see different businesses, Chipotle, for example. There's certain, there's a bunch of other burrito places that exist, but Chipotle is the best. So everybody goes to Chipotle, right? Well, how, why isn't there, you know, other competition for currency the same way there would be for Chipotle? Because Chipotle, even though it's the best restaurant, it still has competitors like Moe's and Corito and, uh, you know, other taco places. <laughs> so 
it, it, it still has competition. It still has to stay sharp and valuable. Chipotle still has to stay valuable and sharp because it has competition. Well, the U.S. dollar doesn't really have any competition. It's just it's the U.S. dollar by the Department of Pre- Treasury. But that doesn't make it free and fair then, right? Because with that, you need free and fair competition. Well, now with cryptocurrencies and other currencies starting to become more and more popular, we're going to see more competition and more of a pushback uh, from the people in a sense of being like, well, we don't really want to use the dollar anymore. We want to use something else, crypt, you know, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, XRP, you know, <laughs> Ethereum, Litecoin, whatever you use, you know? And, and I like that idea of having competing currencies, you know? Somebody says, you know, I'm selling a pillow, for example. I'm selling a pillow. It's not a my pillow, okay? It's just a regular pillow. <laughs> I just got to make that clear. I'm selling a pillow and um, you know, I go out and I'm like, hey, here's my, here's this pillow. It is the best pillow you can get, right? Well, somebody else comes along and they have another pillow and they say, well, this pillow is softer than your pillow. Well, then I got to go back to the shop and make my pillow better. And that's the point is that competition and that drive. I don't know if that was the best explanation of that, <laughs> but you know, I'm the, I'm not a teacher. Okay. I'm just a, I'm just a guy with a microphone. But, um, yeah, (laughs) that was a horrible analogy. Don't, don't listen to the pillow one. I'll I'll have to go back to the drawing board, but you get my drift is that I want, I think competition, it, it, it allows for betterment. And when you, when you're running a monopoly, when you're, when you're, when you're the only one to compete against, you lose that edge, you lose that competitive edge. And with that, you lose quality and you lose value. And that's what I think is happening to the U S dollar. That and it's being spent everywhere by everyone. <laughs> so, you know, and being printed at, at rates we could never imagine. So, um, you know, with that, I think it's interesting. It's something to look at. And, and you know, for all of you out there, you know, use discernment. That's, that's always my, uh, my thing. So that's, that's what I do. That's my MO. Use discernment. And, and you know, always cover your ass. But this is no financial advice, by the way. Not financial advice. Gotta gotta have that disclaimer out there. Don't want the don't want the FBI coming after me. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, leading on to my final topic of the day, uh, and it's one that I've you know wanted to talk about: Disney Plus uh, and the future of storytelling. So. Uh, I have been deep into the Disney Plus rabbit hole over the past couple of weeks. Um, I have been rewatching the Clone Wars animated series, um, the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series. I've seen a lot of the episodes before, but I'm rewatching the series like chronologically. There's a chronological order uh, list of every episode in like chronological chronological order of the show that you can get on the internet, and so I've been watching it by that. Um, but yeah, I've been really deep into Disney Plus, and it's kind of had me thinking, especially last night with the uh, the Marvel um, Winter Soldier Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, commercial last night, the the trailer that came out during the the Super Bowl last weekend. Uh, it kind of had me thinking about 
um, how we're going to actually consume a lot of the, a lot of the stories we get over the next few years. I mean, with movie theaters, I've talked about it in the past of how movie theaters are kind of in a, in a, in between a rock and a hard place right now. And it doesn't look like we're going to see theaters back. I don't know, anytime soon in any normal capacity. Uh, so with that, you know, a lot of these studios are having to become creative and, you know, luckily the, a lot of them launched their streaming services like a year prior to, uh, the pandemic because if they you know if disney plus didn't exist or netflix or well netflix has been around for a long time but disney plus and hbo max and some of these other things didn't exist during the pan before the pandemic these companies would have been in a lot more trouble in terms of distribution um but with the pandemic it's kind of forced their hand into making more series and less films and you know we're seeing Disney Plus start to roll out their series. I mean, The Mandalorian, which is already two seasons in that I absolutely love. I think it's super good. I'm, I'm watching it actually with my dad, too. Uh, that's part of my Disney Plus binge. Uh, and I've I've been watching it. I've watched the whole season, the whole series, almost all the way through again from what we have. So the first two seasons. But uh, yeah, I just love the production quality, the writing, the execution. Uh, and I love the different tone. Uh, it's such a different tone for Star Wars that I, but yet has it has a very Star Wars feel to it, um, and that's that's kind of why I held, why it was the first one I wanted to ease my dad into is because, you know, he's not a fan of movies or television or you know anything like that. So, or and let alone Star Wars, which you know he has refused at all corners to watch with me. I finally got him to watch The Mandalorian, and he's really enjoying it. He's really liking it. So, um. Yeah, I, I, but the thing is, is like, it kind of had me thinking though, series versus movies. What do I like better? What have I kind of gotten into more? And, and personally, I will always have a thing for movies. I love the two hour to three hour window where you can just sit down and watch it. And it's done, you know, no, no commitments. Cause with these shows, you got a lot of commitment. You got to go every week and turn it on and hit play. Like, oh, such a drag, right? <laughs> no, but, um, you know, it, it has me thinking like our, our studio is going to pivot more towards these series where they can kind of stretch out a story over a certain amount of seasons or is it more uh, effective for them to do it in these film structures and compact it all into, you know, two hour movie, two to three hour movie now where we're talking Marvel <laughs> um, and Star Wars too, but and everything really, but. Um, I think we're going to see a, a transition into more series uh, because they want to they want to keep their subscription services, um, you know, fruitful, <laughs> I guess is a good word to describe. Good word to use. Uh, they want to keep people's eyes on them, especially right now during the pandemic. But I mean, even beyond, like, I think they're going to start to pivot more towards the home in home entertainment as opposed to um, the films. But obviously they're still going to have movies out there in theaters. I don't think they can ever get away from that. Um, if I mean, maybe, but if they do, I'm going to be very upset. Um, but, uh, I was, you know, I'm just, I think because what they're doing too, is they're releasing a lot of these movies on like Disney plus is doing this. They're releasing these movies on Disney plus. So you have the $7, $8 a month membership, but on top of that, you have to pay an extra fee just to watch the movie. You know, so that's the, they did this with Mulan too, and they're doing it again. Um, 
with more of their movies. I don't, I don't even know which one in particular, but you know, a lot of their movies they're doing this with, uh, and they're probably not going to stop, especially the new ones. But you know, I mean, the thing is, is like, I'd be like, I'd rather just watch it in theaters. If I got to pay extra on top of the monthly fee I already pay, then I'd rather just go see it in a theater. And that's the thing. I think what they should do too is start releasing these shows even in theaters. You know, Mandalorian and WandaVision and uh, Cat, you know, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You know, release all of those in theaters along with on Disney+. Plus. Could be an interesting idea. I would love to see Mandalorian in theaters or at least, you know, a couple episodes. Uh, that's something I think they should do. Um, that could be neat. And kind of have a best of both worlds have a little bit of blend of that cinematic feel because you know granted a lot of these shows are shot uh like films they're shot cinematically uh but i love the idea of the story being able to drag out over you know multiple seasons and that's what i think i love about these series is that you know especially with wandavision we're starting to see um the many different directions they can take this and and you kind of with each episode, I have time to let it marinate and sit and, and allow you to kind of dwell on it more than with a film where you're just, you know, you dwell on it and then you have an opinion on it and then it kind of doesn't really change until you see it again. Uh, but with this, you know, every episode, every installation into the series gives you a new perspective and opens the door more to the story. So I think that's something that that's kind of a reason why I think they want to go in this direction is because there's just so many more opportunities to tell a cohesive story, you know, in a multiple season, you know, seven, eight episodes, four or five seasons. We'll say, I mean, you, you can cover a lot of ground there as opposed to in, uh, films where you only have an hour, you know, two hours, two to three hours to tell your story, you know, beginning, middle and end. And, um, I think, you know, with that, you get a little with the series, you get a little bit more flexibility, but a little bit less accessibility because, you know, people are more inclined to sit down and watch a two hour film than, you know, a 12 hour series, at least 12 hour series, um, more like 50 or 60 hour series. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's pros and cons of both, and I think they're going to end up doing both. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to have to pick between one or the other, but I think it's going to be which one are they going to rely on more? Because right now they're relying on the the films. I mean, obviously, right now because they're you know they're still kind of in the test test run of a lot of these shows like WandaVision, which I want to kind of talk about uh, towards the end here. But um, you know, uh, like I said, Mandalorian though, it's really good. I hope they that Star Wars does more of this. And I want to do a Star Wars um, themed episode coming up. I don't know. What I actually want to do is I want to sit down and break down every single Star Wars movie. That's something I'm going to do in the future. So be on the lookout for that. That's coming. I don't know when, but I will figure it out. I might do like one a month or something. I don't know. I'm brainstorming on air. That happens. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know... I, I really love Disney Plus, too. A lot of the old animated movies I've been throwing on before bed. I watched last night Atlantis, The Lost Empire with Michael J. Fox. Really forgot how good of an animated movie that was. Really good movie. Uh, and I was surprised um, at how much I liked that. I hadn't seen it in so long. Uh, and I really liked it. So check out Atlantis, The Lost Empire if you haven't. It's an interesting story. And Atlantis is a fascinating fascinating uh you know part of our history in terms of mythology um so 
And when I mean our history, I mean human history. Our, we're all humans here. We're all people. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about WandaVision spoiler review of the first five episodes of WandaVision. So if you have not seen WandaVision, uh, now be the time to turn off. And that's why I wanted to wait till the end here. Um, now be the time to turn off because I'm going to talk a little WandaVision. Um, so spoiler warning for the first five episodes of WandaVision. If you haven't seen them, click off now and then go check them out and come back. I'll be waiting for you right here. Um, and I'm going to give the spoiler alert in three, two, one. Spoilers. Okay. I really like WandaVision and what they're doing with this show, man. Okay. Because I said Disney is going to get stale if they don't start to, to you know, really get creative with their storytelling and not just, you know, visuals and characters, you know, and, and, but I mean, character, I mean, character designs and, and things like that. I mean, the way you tell a story needs to be unique to a superhero genre, to a genre that has become so stale and, you know, uh, overflowing, overbearing. I mean, we superhero fatigue is what people have called it over the years. Comic book movie fatigue Personally, I don't have that fatigue. I'm I'm more of a bad comic book movie fatigue. I'm at that point. <laughs> um, but with Avengers Endgame, and, and I've talked about it Endgame and how much I love the film, it was a beautiful bow on the end of the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe. And for me, I was like, they should end it right here. It's called Endgame. End it. But you know, check is calling. So you gotta you you know the mouse has gotta get his. So they're definitely, I was like, they're definitely going to make more. We all know it's coming. And we got Spider-Man, which I reviewed. I liked it. It was okay. Um, and I was like, okay, like where, where, what direction is this going in? But then they announced WandaVision is coming out. And, you know, it's going to be a series on Disney Plus. And I'm like, okay, I'm down. I'm game. I love Mandalorian. Uh, I'm game. But, uh, to be honest, I really didn't know much about what this show was going to be about. Uh, so when I turned it on for the first time and saw it was just like a, you know, 50s sitcom, I was just kind of like, I was into it. The, the pilot, I really liked. I think the pilot may be my favorite episode of the series so far. Just because, you know, you kind of, I love, I have a thing for, for sitcoms, uh, old sitcoms. Uh, you know, I like throwing them on here and there. They're funny. And, they're, and I love that, that whole aesthetic. Uh, when it's done right. And I love the way it's shot. It looks, you know, the black and white and all of it just works really well. And I like the, you know, how silly the story is, you know, and the characters, you know, that they did a really good job of framing a a 50s uh, sitcom, in my opinion. But I was like, you know, that was fun. I was like, you know, the first episode and then the second episode, weird stuff starts to happen. And you're like, okay, this is going somewhere. Okay. And then by the third episode and the fourth episode, you're well, definitely by the fourth, by the third episode, you're like, okay, something, you know, there's definitely something here because as, as it turns to color and then they're having the kids and all this stuff starts coming and you're like, okay, now this is going to open up. And this is, and, and by the third episode, I was like, this is a simulation. I had a feeling I'm like that. I'm like, they're either all in a simulation or this is a simulation propagated by Wanda and it ended up being the latter. Um, but, uh, you know, I like, I loved the, how Wanda kind of, tr- you know, she acts playfully 
you know, she plays stupid, but she's really, you can just tell even in the early episodes that she's pulling the strings just by how frantically she tries to, to, to put out fires and how everything just conveniently falls into her hands. And, and it, you know, you can just tell she has control over all the people in the uh, actual, I guess, sitcom, the hex as they'll end up calling it. Um, but the first three episodes, I was just kind of like, it was almost just like, you know, layers uh, coming off and you can start slowly start to see the big picture of what they were actually trying to do. Uh, and then it wasn't really until the fourth episode when, you know, you meet Monica Rambo, and, and that was an interesting tie into uh, Captain Marvel makes that movie a little bit more watchable. And that's the thing they need to do with some of the bad movies is, is fill in the blanks. And then Star Wars definitely needs to do that. But Marvel ha- luckily is doing a good job of that because I like this Monica Rambo character. She's interesting. She's she's likable. And, you know, she has kind of a drive and, and they, they give a good job of a little bit of backstory. And I like how she shows up right like and I like how they show like how people reappeared after Tony Stark. Star- Tony Stark snaps them back into reality. You know how they just kind of come back and in and it's in the setting of a hospital and it's super frantic and people are running around everywhere. Really cool idea um, to kind of show and explain how that actually happened because it was kind of a plot hole a little bit in. Uh, it's not necessarily a plot hole, but it was kind of like a you know a question of like how did they just appear back? Is is that how it works? Yeah, it is that simple. Occam's Razor, people. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I I really liked what they did with this uh, with that episode, and I liked how they finally in the fourth episode they didn't wait too long. That was another thing because it, it the sitcom thing could have easily gotten stale after if they would have went you know four or five episodes with just that, it would have gotten really stale. So I like how they did that for the first two or three episodes, and then now now that they got you hooked, now they're going to give you what actually is going on, and. Uh, I like that, and I like how um, uh, you know you start to realize m- that Wanda is behind all this stuff. She's really the the one that is doing it because of all of the grief and the loss and the sadness that she has. She has to build this wall around her to kind of make everything seem like it's okay when you know really things aren't. <laughs> um, you know, she's almost tricking herself, and that's the thing because she's not really prepared for everything that's going on inside her universe. So it almost kind of makes you wonder, you know, within the simulation, how much control does she actually have over the simulation? Because, you know, there's times where you just, it seems like she has total control. Like when she tosses Monica Rambo out and when she walks out there and threatens them in the fifth episode, and she threatens all of the FBI people and the, you know, the, the sword and all of them, she threatens all of them and says like, leave me alone pretty much, you know, there she seems like she's in control but then there's moments where you, where she doesn't seem like she knows what's going on and she's trying to lie to Vision and, and Vision's starting to see through it. And that's an interesting thing of Vision is, is, is you know, what what is he, what is his, you know, status? Is he, you know, because you know, from our understanding, his head gets ripped out. His, you know, the Mind Stone gets ripped out of his head by Thanos in Infinity Wars. And, um, you know, we don't really see much of him since, but... My understanding is we do see the shot of her seeing dead vision, you know, kind of uh, within the simulation. She sees dead vision for like a moment. So that makes me think that his corpse was reanimated. I think that vision had a was, a you know, I don't think he's actually alive. I think he is alive, but only because Wanda is pumping life into him. You know, he's on life support pretty much. 
at this point, but technically he's still dead. He's reanimated. Um, but he is conscious and sentient. So it's interesting to think how he, to see how he's kind of starting to figure out that this is all a simulation and that he's been lied to. Um, so I think that's compelling. Um, the stuff of Monica Rambo, uh, is, is really compelling as they're starting to put the pieces together. of Why the sitcom, why, why does the hex even exist? Who's controlling it? You know, we know Wanda is on some level, but is there somebody really pulling the strings? Is, is somebody really, is, has someone trapped Wanda in her own simulation? That's a possibility. I mean, there's a lot of ways this could go. And that's like, leads to my point that I made at the beginning of how I like how, uh, I'm sorry. It, it leads to my point that I was saying in the beginning of how I wanted Marvel to tell these stories in a unique way and to not just give us the same run of the mill superhero movie that we've gotten over the past 15 years since they've been doing this thing. Uh, this, the MCU, you know, it was really refreshing to see, uh, you know, two characters that, you know, got very little fleshing in, you know, the actual Avenger saga, you know, they were just kind of side characters. Wanda and Vision, you know, they were likable. They were good characters, but they just, you know, they 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 weren't that integral to the whole emotional weight of the story, if that makes sense. Uh, until now, and 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 I love how they've taken these characters and now have progressed them and, and moved them to a spot where they can now, because they they had enough pretext from the former movies that they that they could expand upon, especially with Wanda's character. I mean, from everything from you know, what we see in Ultron of uh, her brother dying, which, you know, leads to the big twist uh, that happens at the end of episode five, which we'll get into, um, you know, her brother dying and uh, then obviously vision dying and all these things. It, it, it leads me to my theory that uh, Wanda, is, I think Wanda is going to be a villain. I want Wanda to be a villain. I, I do. And I think, it would work so well because they've set it up. Like I was saying with her brother dying and, 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 and Ultron and vision dying and in infinity where she just has nothing else. She's void of it. And, and she's depressed and sad and, and tries to, to make everything better for herself at the expense of all these people in this town, you know, that she's controlled basically and, and forced into her fake sitcom and, you know, into her simulation. And, uh, you know, she, she just wants to, to have a normal, family life with vision who she loves and and that guy's gone now and and she's trying to make it all seem like none of the bad things in her life happened but they did and then now she's coming to terms with it and we're gonna see uh hopefully see her go bad and i i'd like it i think it would work they've set it up also from a power you know from a power standpoint she was one of the few people to go toe-to-toe with thanos and you know in the uh infinity uh saga so that that in and of itself gives her a lot of credibility when it comes to being able to beat up other superheroes. And she's arguably the most powerful in the MCU. I mean, you know, her telekinetic powers and all that are super OP at moments. So uh, Wanda has, I think her being a villain is just what the MCU needs is a super deep, complex, broken villain. That's what this show, that's what this, that's what the MCU needs at this point is a new boogeyman. And, what better one than a former hero, a fallen hero uh, in Wanda? So I really hope they go that route. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they're ballsy enough. Um, you know, Disney has held restraint in some of these areas when I think they could have turned characters bad. Ray um, in the original, I mean, in the Star Wars sequel trilogy really could have 
uh, benefited from going evil. I think it would have fit the story better as well. So I, you know, I really want to see Wanda go bad. In my opinion, I think it would really, really work, uh, and it'd be ballsy. It'd be really ballsy. So maybe they do it. I think Kevin Feige has a better chance of doing it than J.J. Abrams. That's for sure. So that that gives me a little bit of hope. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like WandaVision, and and that leads us to the the final episode, the episode five, which uh, I've, I've mentioned here and there. But you know, you get uh, obviously the big reveal at the end, which is uh, Quicksilver from the Fox X Men movies shows up as like the recasted version of. Uh, Pietro, who is uh, Wanda's brother, who dies in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. So we finally get the crossover between Fox's X-Men and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we knew this was coming. Disney was not going to pay $65 billion, you know, just to to sit on all this intellectual property. No, no. We knew. I was like, I, and as soon as I saw this series, WandaVision, I had a feeling that this was going to be used as a means to uh, push that merger of the multiverse. And, and look, I personally, I you know, I knew they were going to have to go this route because they bought too much IP for them not to do it. And you know, they have Spider Man now under their umbrella, and they you know they got a lot of this stuff. So you know, they have all these characters. They might as well as, you know use them and use them as soon as possible, but it's going to have to be very seamless in the way they explain this and make it work. It can't just be some cheesy, corny explanation for why there's a multiverse and why we're just figuring out about it now. And I know that they're going to have to explain it over WandaVision, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Spider-Man 3. They're going to have to explain a lot of how this actually works. And I, I trust Marvel. I'm not saying that they don't have this figured out, but it's something that we deserve as fans at the least is something that makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, it's going to suck me right out of this series. I'm serious. It'll suck me right out of the MCU because I kind of have not necessarily a foot out the door, but I just, I, you know, I don't really see how it's necessary for this to keep going at this point, unless they have more inventive things. So luckily so far, they've got me with WandoVision. I really like what they've been doing with this show. It's ballsy so far. It's fun. Um, and it's unique and, and it's a new way to tell a story. I love this idea of her building this, you know, fake simulation of a, of a sitcom to try and calm herself down and, and make her feel like every, all of the horrible things in her life that have happened didn't happen. She's trying to forget them and yet they just won't escape because you can't escape that kind of stuff. You can't escape your past, especially when you're trying to, to fake it and, and, and to fake your life and to pretend like it's not real. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. How will they explain this though with the you know the X-Men coming in? I bet it'll be through Wanda. Maybe the hex that she creates, the, the simulation, rips a fabric in the multiverse, maybe, and that's what causes, you know, X-Men Quicksilver to show up and probably more of the X-Men and whoever else they want to bring into this thing. Uh that'll probably be the the way they do it. I don't know. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But I really like what they've done, WandaVision, man. I do. I, I like I like the aesthetic, and uh, as for Falcon Winter Soldier, the um, the trailer that came out uh, on Super Bowl, I mean, it was fine. I, I'm excited for the show, too. I really like both those characters, and I think they need a little bit more fleshing just like uh, Wanda and Vision did. So I like how they're going to the secondary, you know, tertiary characters um, that are also 
you know, they're recognizable, but at the same time need more work. Need, and what I mean by work, I mean they need more character to them. They need more fleshing out. They need more time, more screen time really is another thing. So I like how they, they've taken that approach with, with Falcon and Winter Soldier and, and WandaVision and they're doing a bunch of other ones too. And I think they're going to start getting really wacky once they get people gripped into the whole idea of having these Disney Plus series. Um, so I'm on board, man. I'm on board. Like I said, I'm not one foot out the door. Okay, that was that was a, that was the wrong term to use. It was more of, you know, I I don't I want to just I want this to be necessary. I want you know I don't want it to just be because they made this big Disney made this big purchase of all this IP, and they need to shove it in as quick as possible into the universe to you know make as much money as they can and get a ROI. I mean I understand how it works, but at the same time, make it make sense. That's all I'm saying. As long as it makes sense and it works, I'm always okay with it. You know, that includes fan service. That includes, you know, holes in the plot. That includes stupid, corny moments. A lot of these things can just be fixed by good writing. So it's all we're asking for, people. So, yeah, Disney Plus, I'm on board uh, with it. And, uh, yeah, um, I'll be probably doing a whole series review of WandaVision and uh, probably talking about Falcon Winter Soldier and, and all the other stuff that's coming out, not only on Disney Plus, but on other stuff as well. Also, um, yeah, no, that's actually all I have on that segment, but thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's going to do it, though, uh, for this week. That's going to do it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been... A good time. Glad to be back. Uh, and I'm going to be doing more. Keep looking out probably soon. I'll have another one out. And uh, we'll keep doing this thing. But yeah, follow me everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> now, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know the deal. Um, the podcast is way more available than ever before. Uh, it is on YouTube. It is on Spotify. It is on Apple Podcasts. It is on Amazon Podcasts. It is on Stitcher. It is on Google Podcasts. It is on iHeartRadio. It is on Pandora. And now it is also on video. Like I said, on YouTube is on video. We have the video on YouTube, on Rumble, on Minds, on Odyssey. Um, those are the, those are the platforms I have right now. Um, send me any uh, social media you, uh, video sharing platforms that are free. I'd like to join them. I want to decentralize and send and post my podcast everywhere I possibly can. So that's why I ask. That's why I'm joining all of these different platforms and, and uploading the whole library. I just want, I, I, you know, why limit yourself? Why limit yourself to one website when you can be on five or six? You know, that's my logic. But, um, yeah thanks for listening everybody thanks for watching if you are uh i will be back and uh yeah hang in there stay strong stay healthy stay safe and i'll see you guys later let the beat drop <laughs>